This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. So I believe dealing with obesity can be a, a, a very meaningful and a, and a sizable part in actually reverting the trend and the burden on the healthcare system. And I do think we can articulate that and also uh, get uh, payers to, uh, to buy into that. That was Nova Nordisk CEO Lars Furgard Jorgensen speaking to me for a Reuters newsmaker last year about the strength of obesity drugs and why insurance companies and governments are likely to pay for them. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Amy Donlan. And I'm Anita Ramaswamy. And this week, we are digging into the fascinating world of obesity drugs. Me and my colleague Rob Siren have been writing about this market for the past few years, delving into how these drugs might revolutionize the world and upend established industries like the fast food sector. So stay tuned for The Views Room, the weekly podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where Amy and I talk to our fellow columnists about the big stories of the week. And we're coming to you from London and New York. The obesity drug craze is continuing at an insatiable rate. Nova Nordisk, the Danish insulin giant, which was the first company to get approval to sell its remedy in the U.S., is now facing competition from Eli Lilly. So, Anita, we are joined by your colleagues over in the U.S., Lauren Silva-Lachlan, the U.S. editor of Breaking Views, and Rob Siren, who is covering pharma stateside. Hi. Good morning. We have a lot to chat about today. Um, So, Rob, Amy, Lauren, I know you've all written about this market um, in different ways. And Rob, you have specifically been covering a lot of the implications for the U.S. market. And just given there's so much talk about obesity being a big problem here in the U.S., I was wondering if you could lay it out for us. What is the scope of the problem in terms of U.S. obesity rates? Well, consider that 40 percent of American adults are obese, um, which is, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, 100 million people or so in the United States. And obesity causes all sorts of health problems. If you look at the top 10 causes of death in the United States, uh, I think nine of them are either um, aggravated or caused by obesity. Um, wow. You know, like things like heart disease, stroke, um, cancer, um, all sorts of things. And there are also other conditions too, like, you know, um, people who are severely overweight, they have joint damage, so they need their uh, joints replaced more. Um, they have all sorts of health problems. So the fact that we have the first real drugs that are effective in um, reducing weight is huge, uh, not only just for cosmetic reasons, but of course, because they have huge, huge health effects on people. And Lauren, I wanted to kind of bring you into this because we have lots of, you know, interesting conversations about this market. And I mean, over in Europe, the craze, I mean, obviously everyone has heard about these drugs, but the actual craze of people taking them really hasn't taken off yet. 
uh, in the UK where I am, the, the NHS has approved Wegovy, the um, obesity medication. So you are able to take it, but it's a, you know, it's a national health service. So it will be very much going to people who are morbidly obese first uh, and then making its way down. Um, what is it like in the US? The, the craze seems um, pretty insane over there. It's funny to hear you say that because here, like, it seems that everybody is on the drug. And by the way, like for a while, people were embarrassed to admit they were on the drug. And by everybody, I mean like everybody in Hollywood and everybody who's famous. Okay, so just to kind of recalibrate the, <laughs> recalibrate the everybody. Actually, what the NHS, NHS is doing seems sensible. What you should be doing is reserving this drug for people who really need it and helping to reduce your national cost of healthcare. In the United States, of course, our system doesn't work that way. You go to your doctor, you get a drug, and that happens on a large scale all the time with all sorts of drugs and many drugs that you don't need. There are lots of celebrities who take this drug, Oprah, and then, you know, there have been whispers about the Kardashians being on it and Real Housewives. I I got one of this full disclosure, and I'm like, I'm going to see if I can get that sucker. And, and um, also full disclosure, wouldn't qualify under BMI, but like, you know, I, I, and I've tried for over a year poking at different pockets of our healthcare system to see if I could be prescribed and I have yet to get it. Um, we should say and, Lauren, because our listeners can't see you. So yes, I think in the UK, she would be laughed out of most doctor's surgeries. <laughs> Except that it seems that everybody here is getting it. Everybody here is taking it. Um, and what's interesting is that like, even though doctors say it needs to be reserved for people who really need it, those who are obese or have diabetes, those are not the people who are taking it. Those are not the people who are promoting it. Um, I think it was Chelsea Handler I saw the other day wrote a story about her her experience with Ozempic. If you don't know her, she's a, a, a very a slim American middle-aged woman comedian um, who similarly should not be qualifying for that drug. She somehow got it. Um, so like when you think about demand, and maybe this is actually probably a better question for Rob, when you think about demand, it seems like these drugs companies, the biggest um, impediment for their growth is the fact that they can't keep up with demand. Oh, and, totally. Yeah. And it seems that it's strange because if they actually kept up with the kind of demand that they, you know, are producing the drug for, they'd be putting their other drugs out of business. Like if they help people who are obese get thin, then the drugs that they produce for heart disease and diabetes and all sorts of other things will go away. If they help thin people get thinner, they continue to keep a market. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be glass, you know, half empty here, but I do wonder if some of this kind of is going to be tested out in markets where drugs are easier to get than others and restrictions are a little bit lower. It's just how these things are just once in a lifetime drugs. I think that's the problem. Um, I was taking a look at um, the biggest drug ever um, was a drug for um, autoimmune, a drug for, you know, like arthritis and other drugs like that. It sold $20 billion in a year. Um, then the Eli Lilly drug, they're on, they sold um, $5.4 in the second year of sales. So that's like, what, like six times as many sales as the biggest drug ever at this point in its lifespan. And they can't meet demand. I mean, like um, Eli Lilly, they had something like 300,000 prescriptions so far. 
And if you consider, like I said, that like 100 million Americans <laughs> could use this drug uh, and then a lot more overworld, you just see how gigantic this thing is. It's just like the farm industry has never seen anything like it. So it's just really, really hard to keep up with it. Um, and, and another fact is like, you know, we were saying how like it's very different in the U.S. is kind of leading, you know, U.S. led the obesity craze, <laughs> obesity problem. And now it's leading the kind of the drug solution, at least. Uh, for Manjaro, uh, there were 2.2 billion of sales in the U.S. Um, that's the Eli Lilly drug for diabetes and obesity. Overseas sales were 100 million, so 20 times more sales in the U.S. than overseas. So you, you see, just like it's just gigantic. And it's interesting as well. Obviously, Rob, on this side of the Atlantic, so Nova Nordisk is the biggest player in this market. Was the Danish insulin maker? That was what they were. They were sort of known for was was making insulin first. And they obviously brought out Ozempic as a diabetes medication. And then obviously it's now labeled Wakevi for obesity. Um, and they are experiencing that exact problem of just completely unable to meet the demand that people have for this drug, which I think, Lauren, it is really interesting. That is one of the most fascinating things I think about this entire market is that it is not demand from people who actually are obese that they are struggling to keep up with. So if they were to actually meet demand, I don't even know what that would look like. And they are very much like scrambling to 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 get as much manufacturing capacity. And there was a really interesting deal this week, um, which was essentially a very complicated kind of deal in a way. But the upshot was that Nova Nordisk essentially got to buy three manufacturing sites from its its parent company, but it had bought them from from Catalan, which is one of the big manufacturing, one of fill and finish manufacturers. Um, and the whole purpose, I think, is to is to try and get as much manufacturing before the rush of other pharma companies come in. So we've got Eli Lilly and Novo really establish, establishing themselves now. But there are like 40 other drug makers, including AstraZeneca and, and lots of others that are working on medications, trying to get out as fast as they can, too. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, Amy, I actually did want to drill into that a little bit deeper because, as you mentioned, Novo was sort of the big one, you know, that came out first with their drug. And it seems like a lot of other pharmaceutical companies followed suit. What is the state of play in terms of who has an effective drug that is already in market? So it's just it's really just two. It's it's Eli Lilly and it's Novo Nordisk that have two drugs. I mean, um, you forgive me now if I'm wrong about this, Rob. Eli Lilly's obesity drug was was only actually approved in November, right? For it to be to be for obesity, sold. Yeah. For it obesity, was approved yeah. uh for diabetes like a year and a half ago and then and then for um yeah, for for over for weight loss just a few months uh in November. So it's not very months. I mean, everyone's trying everyone's trying to develop them. You know, everyone knows this is a gigantic gold mine and they know now what works, and so they're trying all different flavors of it and throwing other stuff in it. I mean, it's rare to find a pharma company that isn't trying to develop one of these drugs. I guess my yeah, so question or sort of like thought too about demand, and I'm curious to hear from you, you and you, Rav and you, Amy. Like one thing actually that I got told in my uh, search for Ozempic journey um, <laughs> was that, that from a doctor was that this was a drug that you have to be on for the rest of your life. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I know there's some debate about that, but it, but similarly, it's kind of a clever way for pharma industry, for the pharma industry to assure um, demand going forward. It also then creates all sorts of problems and opportunities for other companies, right? If this becomes a permanent lifestyle change, um, and I'm wondering if you guys in your reporting have come across any data specifically that talks about this this being something that you have to be on forever. 
I mean, I, I, I mean, Rob, you've kind of written about this a good bit as well, so I'll kind of yield the floor to you in a sec. But I think that that, I mean, I interviewed the CEO of Nova Nordisk last year and I kind of talked to him about this idea of like it being a chronic disease, obesity, and that that idea, which even I think as a company, when they were developing these drugs, they were internally struggling with this idea that obesity was not a lifestyle, lifestyle choice, that it was actually, it was a condition that often starts in childhood and carries with people all their lives and they will struggle and be unable to lose weight, that their body just com- continues even through dieting to put back on the weight that they've lost. And so what they have shown in trials is that the people who do come off the drug after they've come off, come out of these trials, because they only get the drug it, during the trial because it's $1,000 a month then after that. So a lot of them couldn't afford to come, you know, to stay on it. A lot of them put back most of the weight that they had lost during the trial. So I think that's where they get this sort of sense or notion that that it is, you know, something almost like, think of it as like a statin, like something like, uh, even insulin itself, like something that you have to stay on in order for the, for it to be effective, that your body will go back to the way it was because it has to be medicated. That is certainly their view. And I think one of the avenues that I'd say if I was a pharma company that I would be working on is maybe coming up with something that is that is actually more long term, that you don't have to be on for the rest of your life, that's more effective and maybe even has fewer side effects because the side effects are are pretty brutal in some cases of of these drugs making people have like kind of chronic diarrhea uh, a lot of stomach problems. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's interesting too because I have to say that the whole thing feels very clockwork orange to me. You know what I'm saying? Like in the sense that you you can't control yourself, therefore you take this drug that makes you ill. I mean, by the way, we have all sorts of prophylactics, like you know, for for like natural human nature, which which is to eat, right? Like that is like a natural human urge is to fill yourself. I guess. The issue with the drug is like, as you say, Amy, there's these people who have a proven disorder from childhood that probably could use something like this to help keep to sort of regulate their mental relationship with with food. But that proportion of people is like really, really small. And where you're talking about 40 percent of the U.S. public being obese, there's a much bigger issue going on here, probably like generally speaking, mental health, the way we process food, all those sorts of things like this drug effectively stops anyone from having to address any of those other issues in our food healthcare market, right? And so like there's sort of a basic fundamental issue with this being introduced in some ways. I was just going to frame a question uh, to you, Rob, actually. So Amy, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that if you were a pharma company, you would think about implementing a longer term solution that's more sustainable. But given that we're not there yet scientifically, and there is such an undersupply. I wanted to know, um, both Amy and Rob, and maybe Rob, you, you, you've done some reporting around this. What are the prices like in the States right now? And do you think that those prices that Amy mentioned are, are pretty high? Are they going to decline as more entrants come into the market? Yes. Um, so right now, the prices are about like 1000 a month. Um, it, it, it depends. If you have insurance that covers it, um, they'll cover it for diabetes. Not many will cover it for weight loss yet. But if you get it for diabetes, which are most people, um, you, it's it's like any other drug in the United States. You pay a p- part out of your pocket, like maybe 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, something like that. And then um, the insurance pays most of it. Um, the problem is for, for weight loss, uh, insurers won't cover it. So a lot of people are paying out of pocket. So the companies know what they're doing is they're giving 
coupons basically saying, okay, well, you pay half the price. And then um, later on, maybe your insurer will cover it. And they probably will because there are all these health benefit, benefits, like I said. Um, then the out-of-pocket uh, cost will go down. And, and But the bigger thing is that as more companies develop these, the cost will go down as well. There'll be, you know, in, in 10, 15 years, there'll be generic versions of these, which will be a lot, a lot, lot cheaper than they are now. And that Rob, will be good. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to say, I, I saw the Eli Lilly CEO talking about the, the cardiovascular benefits of, of the obesity drug that they have, which, again, Novo has done the same. And I wondered, I was sort of suspiciously listening, going, are you trying to sell this as a cardiovascular medicine? Are you trying to get an insurance company to see it almost that way, almost as obesity as the secondary element, because cardiovascular disease is so expensive for the healthcare system that if you could prevent, you know, kind of severe events of that with the drug, that maybe it would be easier to cover? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the insurance companies, they won't cover it for, uh, like the US government, for instance, they can't legally cover in Medicaid or Medicare um, for weight loss drugs. They can cover drugs for health reasons. So if you put the same drug and you say, okay, this is for um, cardiovascular benefit, this is for reducing the risk of cancer, this is reducing whatever, you get coverage, but if you say you're going to reduce the weight, which has exactly the same outcomes, you can't get it paid for. You look at it; it's just like you know, what is the you know, this is a health problem, uh, and we can we can cure it by you know redesigning our cities and making people walk everywhere like they used to, or we can have the drug, and we're not willing to make people walk, and so you know, the way to cure it is to give people these drugs. And you, and the thing is, I think as well, Lauren, to like back to that point, is that like. You guys have tried to make people walk like Michelle Obama launched that Let's Move, which was like to eradicate childhood obesity within a generation, which is like incredibly ambitious. She was going to schools, getting them to create salad bars and talking to food manufacturers about labeling and calories and nothing. If you look at the rates of obesity in the country has made a slight bit of difference, even even like all the knowledge we have now about food and you know, what we should be eating and what we should be avoiding. And it the rates go up and up and they're going up even with these drugs. They're still going up. It's the rates of obesity. I, and they probably will continue. I mean, Amy, if you, you, you know what, you should come. I'm going to bring you around the midsection of the United States. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I, oh I've, I've been there. I've been to oh, Iowa. Have. Okay, well, then you should know well. You should know well that the infrastructure in what we call a flyover country here is not set up for A, walking, or B, healthy food. You know, Walmart and dollar stores feed a large part of the United States. This is processed food. It's cheap. People do not have high incomes. Inflation is high. They are reaching for chips on the counter every single day. And there's no good alternative that's cheap. So while I appreciate the initiatives in this country to try to get people to eat healthier and get out and exercise, it's woefully toned deaf relative to the actual lifestyle that is being provided in America. And that is why these two things don't match up. And it can't change unless there is a, a really big overhaul of how this country is set up in terms of transportation and access to food. There are initiatives to do that, but they are grassroots and small and like they pale in comparison to big pharma for sure. Yeah, and Lauren, you're you're absolutely right that there are huge systemic problems around obesity and our relationship to food in the United States. I think it, a, a good place to kind of tie this all together and, and perhaps wrap up the conversation is that 
you know, I've been seeing some different estimates from various banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, different research analysts who have been projecting from what I've seen within the next decade, you know, by around 2030, that some 10 to 13% of the U.S. population is going to be on an anti-obesity drug one way or the other. So maybe the systemic issues won't get addressed. Even if they don't, I think it's indisputable that these weight loss drugs are going to have a huge impact on society. They're going to shape entire industries. And we are going to be talking about this topic for a long time to come. Who will? I mean, Rob, Rob and I did, did write a, a lot about how this could shape the world. And I think that it is incredible. I mean, Rob, you had some amazing stats in that in that piece about just even like gambling that they find in trials that the people are less impulsive when they're on these medications. So this GLP-1, which is this like this enzyme that, you know, stops you from basically makes you feel full for, for longer, that this goes everywhere in your body. So it goes into your brain and it like it, you know, it tells you basically it not tells you, but it it controls the things that you do. It controls the way you behave. And that's what it looks like it does. And if that's true, like, I think the people have a notion that you could t- pop one of these, you know, injections or pills or whatever is in the future and then go to McDonald's and then not put on weight. But I think the idea is you don't want to go to McDonald's. This drug will, will make you a lot less likely to even want to go into McDonald's because your cravings will be lower. You'll be fuller. You know, it, it has the capacity to to really kind of change the world. Maybe your Walmart, maybe your Walmart and your dollar stores won't do too well in that world. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know what? They have new wardrobes to sell, so it's a whole other industry. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, look, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Lauren, Anita, and uh, Rob. I really enjoyed that. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on BreakingViews.com and on X, where our handle is at BreakingViews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.